Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring back to the show John Acuff. He's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. Last time he was on the show, we talked about that. We unpacked what that was about. It's the power of changing the way that you're thinking. Even if you're not an overthinker, you're probably thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking that derail you, that self-sabotage you. And that book is all about flipping the script, changing the soundtrack, and training your thoughts to be positive in the right way, not just in a frou-frou way, but in a concrete way that will change the course of where you're at. He's back to talk about his new book that he co-wrote with his daughters, Ellie and McRae. They are teenage girls. They have a great and unique perspective on this subject. And the book is called Your New Playlist, The Student's Guide to Tapping into the Superpower of Mindset. And I got to say, it's genius on John's part to tap into not just the soundtrack and mindset approach for students, but that his daughters not just lent, but really wrote the bulk of this and created a really great way for parents to dive in and have a version of soundtracks for teenagers, for students, so that as they're younger, they can adopt a way to change their mindset and their thought patterns early, changing the course of their lives. This is something that as I was going through the soundtrack book, one, I recognized that John was onto something and had been doing it for a long time, and it was evident in his previous work, but that also this was something I wish I had had 20 plus years ago when I was a teenager and a college student, it would have done wonders for me. And so I'm glad that this exists for my kids and all the students out there now. This is one you don't want to miss. So I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with John Acuff. This week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, John Acuff. John, welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. Return guest. I love it. Let's go, Eric. I'm a regular. Yeah. So last time we talked, we were talking about your last book, Soundtracks, and you've got a new book out that is a furthering of that mentality. So before we get into what that is and all of that, let's do like a previously on this podcast. Nice. Let's summarize what Soundtracks is. Obviously, overthinking plays into that. What's your elevator pitch for your last book? I bet you didn't anticipate that question. Well, um, so for me, it's essentially how to build a winning mindset. There's a really a ton of power in choosing your thoughts because new thoughts lead to new actions. New actions lead to new results. So many times people, especially people that are under productivity or getting beyond the to-do list, over-focus on the results they want. 
and they don't change the underlying thoughts that are driving everything. And so nothing really happens. So I wrote a book called Soundtracks because for me, that's what a repetitive thought is. It's a soundtrack you're listening to. And so the book teaches you how to retire your broken soundtracks, how to replace them with new soundtracks because your brain wants to think something. The solution to mindset is not turn your brain off. I love meditation, yoga, whatever. That's 10 minutes a day. That's 30 minutes a day. What about the other 23 and a half hours? And then the last thing is how to repeat those new soundtracks so often they become as automatic as the old ones. That's the previously on Beyond the To-Do List. That's the summary. Well done. And the way I look at it, I always do this. Whatever martial arts it is, judo or jujitsu, it starts with a J. I can't remember. Look it up. Look it up while we're talking. It's the one where you take the thing that's coming at you and use that momentum and flip it back around. Judo. Judo. There you go. So it feels like mental slash emotional judo to me. A hundred percent. That's a great way to frame it, Eric. Yeah, it's it's really going, how do I take all these thoughts that are working against me and make them work for me? And when you do that, and it's such a simple switch, I mean, it's such a powerful switch. And that's what's been fun the last year since the book came out is to see, you know, I speak to companies all the time and I'll get emails that go, hey, in our sales meeting the next day after you spoke, somebody said, wait a second, I think that's a broken soundtrack. And it was somebody said, you know, maybe they said, well, we can't do that. That's not how our sales process works, which is just a broken soundtrack of that's not how we do things here. And somebody would go, wait a second, I think that's a broken soundtrack. So it becomes this really easy kind of verbal handle to have great discussions. But it's 100% judo. I love that you described it that way. Now, one of the things that, and I think I said this last time we talked, one of the things that I I have observed from listening to you speak and seeing you in person and and just all the interactions that we've had over time, whether it's in person or through the content you're creating. I was not surprised by the book soundtracks because I could see you effectively living that out Mm -hmm. over the course of like there were seeds of that in previous books. You weren't formally saying I'm applying my soundtracks mentality to what I'm doing right here, but you were doing it. And that was what didn't surprise me. So that is something that I questioned when it came time for this book, which is co-written with your daughters, which I wish they were here. I wish we could talk to them, but you do that all the time. It'd be more for me and the listeners as a privilege. But um, I have to say that I'm assuming that throughout their lives, ideally, your goal was instill this soundtracks mentality in them as they're growing up, not wait till the book's written. And here you go, guys. Oh, yeah. No, the book was a product. So the book kind of came about in a few a few ways. And I didn't write soundtracks intending to write a version that was essentially for teenagers, for students. But what happened was a few things. One, parents immediately asked me for one. I've, I've written seven books. You and I have known each other for years. No parent ever said, hey, would you write a, a version of do-over about career change for my kids? But this is the first book of all the books I've written where parents came out of the woodwork and said, hey, do you have one for my student? Because when you were talking on stage or when I was hearing you on this podcast, I immediately thought, if I could have learned this as a teenager, it would have changed everything. Or if my son, who's a sophomore, could learn how to change his mindset, it change everything. So that was the first thing. The second thing was 10 years ago, I would speak at a lot of high school camps. So there were a lot of beach summer camps. I was just kind of learning how to be a speaker. I, I would do a whole week at a summer camp and I'd ask students, please write down you know, what the voice that you listen to are saying, your internal thoughts, what are they saying? And they'd write them down anonymously on cards. And I have thousands of them in a box on my shelf that I never knew what I was going to do with. I don't know why I still had them. And then when soundtracks came out, I remembered, wait a second, I have thousands of soundtracks from real teenagers and I can study those and research those. And then I have two kids you know, of my own and it is part of what we talk about. For years in our house, we've said soundtracks is a family 
And we might have said mantra or motto or family principle, whatever, but it was really just a soundtrack. So I'd seen the need, you know, thousands of different times. I had parents ask me for one. And then I had my own real teenagers and saw what teenagers have to deal with. And I knew that if they wrote it, it'll be more authentic than if me trying to be like, hello, fellow youth, like you guys sure scooter instead of skateboarding. Like it would have sounded so lame. So they ended up writing it. I was the editor. And that's what your new playlist is all about. I got to say, going through the book, it's approachable in a way that, again, you could give, depending upon who it is, you could Mm -hmm. give a teenager or a college student the soundtracks book. This is actually more accessible. In fact, you know, David Allen, Getting Things Done, he did this with his Getting Things Done book. His last book that he did was Mm -hmm. for teens. Oh, that's awesome. It was basically same same type of, you know, mentality and mode where Mm -hmm. you take this thing that has been around for a while. And it's not complicated, but it can be. And you just Mm -hmm. distill it down to its essence. And so what were your daughters thinking in terms of you got all these requests? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Like, what was the, oh, no, we're going to do this. Like, how did that decision come to play? Well, I mean, one of the things that was really interesting was that we we started to kind of casually talk about the idea. And then they started to suggest things that should go in it. And so a great example is my youngest daughter got cut from the lacrosse team and it was a big deal to her. Like that was a big part of her high school identity. It was a really hard text message to get from the coach. And he was so kind in the text message and she was super sad about that. But about a week later, she was like, hey, I think if we do a soundtracks book, we should put that in for other students because other students are going to get cut from something. They're going to have something not go well. They're not going to get asked to the prom, whatever it is. And so they started to go, hey, wait a second. I think this will help for students. And I can see that. And I was thrilled. And we asked the coach if that was okay. And he was so gracious and was like, I'd love to have copies of that book for the girls I coach. You know, he coaches state champion lacrosse players. And, and so the very first chapter is the text message McCray got. So I was really, I never want to force them into situations they don't want to do because they're teenagers. But I also wanted to invite them into this process and see if it was something that they'd go, we could see this helping other teenagers and we could see it being something, you know, that gives them some hope in an age where think about the last two years teenagers have been through. Like it's been a challenging last two years, last three years. So as soon as I started to see them get on board, then I was like, okay, we can do this. We can create this. This could actually be something that's meaningful. I don't want to say the the pandemic presents this prime example of how things can be done differently. Because we've heard that a million times and we don't want to make yeah. a light of the pandemic. But in a way, this age group and us, we're not that much older. We're twice as old, maybe. We've spent a lot of time thinking about thinking recently. Oh, yeah. So yeah. a new way of thinking to circumvent the bad way of thinking coming along now, especially for teens, it is almost like the pump's been primed for them to, oh, no, I can see how I've been in my thoughts so much and my emotions yeah. so much. These last two, three years, I can identify with what's being said here, and I can see how this is helpful to circumvent and, and again, judo, the way things have been for me in my thought life. Yeah, 100%. In fact, Soundtracks was accidentally well-timed. You know, people ask me, did you write it because of the pandemic? But the way, you know, my books work is they're usually done a year before they come out, maybe even 18 months. And so we did the research in 2019. The book was finished before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, all these people got this season where there was extra layer of thought on everything. The joke I do is I'll say, you know, for the first 99% of your life, you were amazing at the grocery store. You never failed the grocery store. But then during the pandemic, you were like, I don't want to go down the wrong way on this aisle. 
I don't want to get shamed by neighbors. I got to think about this. Is this an up aisle, a down aisle? Like, what am I doing? And so, so much of life had extra thought and extra tension. And so Soundtracks came out and was helpful in that moment. And I think for teenagers, just the amount of stuff they're dealing with, the uncertainty of, okay, is school going to be virtual? Is it going to be in person? You know, like, just think about it this way. Teenagers, most teenagers didn't have massive divisive things in their life. They had stressful things for sure, but they didn't have things like politics that impacted the lunchroom table. They were very rarely was a teenager like, I don't want to sit with Mark at lunch. He's clearly a Democrat and I believe in this. But then when you introduce the mask and suddenly kids start getting separated on, I'm wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm wearing two masks. I'm not like, there was a political thing that entered even the high school level. And then when they remove the mask restrictions, oh, my friend is still wearing, she won't come to our house because our family doesn't wear them. Like all of a sudden there was extra tension that you used to not have to deal with until you're in your twenties or your thirties and politics became a thing. You're like, don't talk about politics at work, but you were, you know, you were at least a little more equipped to handle that. But then all of a sudden a sophomore had a political thing impact sophomore geometry and where people sat at lunch. And so there's just been so much extra thought for teens. So I, I think it's, it's well-timed in a, in a fun way to help a lot of teenagers. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It also hits me of that whole like home economics slash, I don't know, fiscal responsibility that we've always said, like, this needs to be taught at the high school level because the the best time to plant a tree is such and such as the example and the best time to put the dollar in the bank so it grows into the whatever, like compound interest, interest, but on mindset. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that I never as a high schooler was taught how to think. I, you know, and I had good high school teachers, but I never had a class that was like, hey, your thoughts are really the genesis of what you're going to end up doing and how you think about yourself. And the stories you tell yourself this season are going to travel with you for 20 years. I mean, most of the time I'm talking to 35-year-olds, 45-year-olds, 55-year-olds, and I'm amazed how many of them have been listening to a broken soundtrack for 20 years that there was a teacher or a professor or parent, somebody in authority said, you're not a real natural leader. And they believed that at 16 and then told themselves that for 20 years. So now they're at a job and the job is going, we think you're amazing. Like we really see something in you. You're a great leader. And they're going, I'm not really a natural leader. I don't, I can't accept that promotion. Like I'm not a natural leader. And if you pull the thread that started at a very sticky time, which is adolescence, which is early twenties. And so, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. You know, and that that's the financial model. The model is always, I'd rather teach you how to handle credit and money than at 40 teach you how to get out of credit debt. Yeah. Yeah. And we've both had experience with that in various ways with it's like hundred percent getting out of stuff. And my daughter is just as of yesterday of this time of recording started her senior year of high school. So it's perfect. Oh, that's exciting. Perfect dude. timing for her. She's yeah. in between the age of your two daughters. I've got a son then that's just started fifth grade. So yeah. I'm, I'm really yeah, right in the zone, dude. Yeah. Right in the zone with both of them and just really looking forward to the impact this is going to make on both their lives. I'm curious, was there anything that surprised you having written the original book that then insight that came from your daughters as they were writing this one? Well, I mean, I think what was kind of a surprise was how out of touch I was to being a student. So I would say, you know, say during the writing process, I'd go, Hey, here are three or four things that we should cover in the book that or in this chapter that I think will be helpful to students. And they'd go, Dad, only one of those is something we're dealing with. And so by accident, it ended up being a really good way for me to learn more about what my teenagers are going through. Because I think as parents, we think we know, but often it's impossible not to use your adolescent experience as you work with them. I experienced that in a large way with the phone. I was so self-righteous, dude. I was like, they're not getting a phone till they're like 30. And because of my job, I could say that on stage and be like, when they're six, like, oh, so self-righteous. Because I was judging their life by my experience. I was like, just have friends call you. They don't call. Like, they don't make phone calls. Now, like, my daughters, they don't really even text message. They DM on Instagram or Snapchat. Like, so like if I tried to apply my framework of adolescence to them, it was just so disconnected. So I think that's what I learned a lot was that where I would go, here's four things I think teenagers are dealing with. And I'll give you an example. I learned this um, Thursday. My daughter, Ellie and I, she's 19 years old. We spoke at a, an event called Global Leadership Summit and we did their next generation version. So it was about 200 high schoolers, middle schoolers in the audience. We speak for like 20 minutes and then we do a Q&A. So Q&A, 14-year-old raises his hand and goes, I don't have a question. 
He goes, I got a statement. And we're like, oh, maybe he's going to tell us a soundtrack. My dad always said, go for it, whatever. He goes, you're creasing your J's. That's what he said to me. You're creasing your J's. I couldn't hear him. I didn't know what he meant. My daughter leans over and goes, you're creasing your Air Jordans, dad. And so because of how I was sitting, I was creasing the toe of my Air Jordans. And he couldn't hear a single thing I said the entire 20 minutes because it was killing him that I was creasing my Air Jordans. As a 46-year-old, I think about a lot of things on stage. Like I'm a professional speaker. Like I, dude, I'm dialed in. But I've never once had to think, wait a second, if I sit a certain way and crease this shoe, they won't be able to focus. And I talked to his leader after and I was like, hey, it was great to see you guys. And he goes, yeah, my kids, when you got on stage and you were wearing Air Jordans, they were thrilled. But the second you started creasing them, they couldn't hear a single word you said. And so I think that was another example for me of even if you think you're culturally aware or like you're up to date, whatever, you're not until you're in the trenches with your kids. And that's what the book taught me. Yeah. One, I am in shock because one, I totally was going there when you were talking about that story with them tuning you out completely because we've all been oh, yeah. there. We've all yeah. like had that tick that that speaker doesn't know yeah, they're doing. And it just, we're out. I'm out. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So man, that's amazing. I could spin on that for a while and I'm not gonna. But going along that thread, was there anything that they brought to you and said, hey, the way you wrote this and soundtracks, that would have worked for adults, but we've got to adapt this and we got a Trojan horse it. They wouldn't use those words yeah. either, but yeah. we would. But how do you relate this to an accessible way to a teenager? I mean, again, it's not inaccessible, but again, are there any other trip ups that teenagers would have in terms of playlists? I mean, again, you've got headphones on the cover of yeah. the, the yeah. book that aren't AirPods or Beats. Yeah. So. Well, so what was interesting was that as we were going through it, the trend that high schools were doing is corded headphones. They're doing retro now and using a lot of corded headphones. And so it's funny, same with like 80s, Stranger Things, all that. So we went with kind of like an 80s feel with the headphones on the cover. But no, what I found was, I mean, on a practical sense, there were a lot of times where they'd go, dad, that's a dad joke. And I would think it was just a joke joke. And they'd go, no, that's not the right, like we can't put that in the book. So I would say on a micro level, they'd go, we can't do that joke. That's not what we do. On a macro level, they would say, okay, we don't really care about that. Like that thing you're wor- you think we're worried about, we don't care about that. We care about something that's more specific related to us. And so like, I, I would say one, I wouldn't have known going in that teenagers feel it's too late. I know that with 30 year olds, 40 year olds, I'll talk to adults and they'll go, it's too late for me to write a book. It's too late for, you know, like I can't start a podcast. It's too late. I get that as an adult. I didn't understand initially that kids feel a pressure. My, my daughter told me when she started swim at nine, she felt too late because she went to practice and it felt like every kid had started swimming at five and she was four years too late. And that's a cultural thing. Like we're starting our kids on sports in like the womb. And like, if they're not on the dance team by like 18 months, they're screwed. But like, I didn't know as a parent, wow, a nine-year-old can feel it's too late. Like I missed my window. Like I missed my opportunity. So there are things like that that surprised me. Interesting. Yeah. And I can relate to that. I mean, I remember if I think back to my senior year of high school and graduating and then literally the next day when I didn't have to do finals and didn't have to go to high school ever again, like I'd passed, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I knew where I was going to college, but it was like, I didn't anticipate this happening. This is new territory. I'm completely lost. So I can kind of imagine that. And I kind of relate that to my daughter now. And I kind of say, look, your mom didn't have it figured out. I didn't have it figured out. No no one had it figured out. Even after college, even after marriage, even after jobs, like. 
I'm 46. I don't, I mean, like, I don't have it figured out. Like, that's such a myth that we want to believe is possible because it gives us security. But then we put it on kids. It creates this pressure of what are you doing next? What are you doing next? What are you doing next? Like, you couldn't have majored in podcasting in college because it didn't exist, dude. So the thing our kids might do might not literally exist yet. And that gives you a sense of like, okay, I can take some of the pressure off. Yeah. I think it might behoove us. I don't know why I use that word, but again, it's, it's fact, nice. It's, it's nice. It's nice. It's the, this is the King James version of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, how capricious of you. <laughs> well done. Let's dive into the simplified mode then for students, as far as, you know, replacing broken soundtracks and negative thoughts with new soundtracks and positive thoughts, creating a playlist right now that can carry them at least through the next season, but also the skill set to carry them, you know, into adulthood. It's a more simplified method and mode in terms of asking themselves these three questions. Let's talk about those three questions. Yeah. So I'd say something that wasn't in the, the soundtracks book itself, but is in your new playlist is a really simple activity that students can do. And if you want to identify a broken soundtrack, all you have to do is write down a goal, write down any type of goal. And it can be I want to lose five pounds. It can be, I want to make the lacrosse team. It could be, I want to go to college. I want to finish high school. I want to get asked to the prom. Write down any goal and then listen to the thoughts that come next. Listen to your reaction. Because what we say is every reaction is an education. Are your first thoughts, you should do that. You'd be great at that. Of course, you're going to make the soccer team. You, You know, Are they positive and they push you forward or are they negative and pull you back? Who are you to do that? People are only being nice to you, to your face. They really don't like you. And if they're negative, it might be a broken soundtrack. You should retire. And that's where the three questions come in. And the three questions are just, number one, is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself about myself true? And a great way to tell it's not true is if there's an absolute. I'll never get good at geometry. I'm the only person that was invited to the party. Everyone else has the new iPhone except me. Listen for an absolute, like never, always, everyone. The second question is, is it helpful? When you say this to yourself again and again, is it helpful? And a a great student example is, let's say you got a 52 on a test. You bombed your geometry test. And then a month later, you have another geometry test. It's true you got a 52. That's true. But is it helpful to remind yourself that again and again and again and again the night before the test? Like if a friend texted you a hundred times and said, you're going to get a 52 again, you're going to get a 52 again, you're going to get a 52 again, that friend would be a monster. You'd never be a friend with that person. So why are you doing that to yourself? That's why you need more than one question. Some things are true. They're not helpful. Third question is, is it kind? If I said this to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And if you can't say yes to all those questions, it's probably a broken soundtrack that you don't need to listen to. Yeah, it's it's not helpful. I mean, and that's the thing is teenagers have already made some mistakes. We as adults have made lots more. We can talk about whether something's true or not, but the helpful factor allows us to reframe those experiences of so-called failure into mm-hmm. quantifiable data and you know data points for new experiments. Well, that may have been fast. That was fast. Yeah, that was true. Then that was a true thing that happened, but that doesn't mean that's what always happens. Let's try again. And I think it's in the book. I'm going to paraphrase if I can something about being brave enough to do something new, be brave enough to be bad at something new. There you go. That's one of the soundtracks. We think is super helpful for teenagers because your life is made of new. 
when you're a teenager, when you're in your early 20s, your whole life is made anew. And we often put this pressure on ourselves to be really, really good at things we've never done before. And everybody does that. It's a very human thing to do. And so we always say, like, be brave enough to be bad at something new. So for instance, Ellie, my oldest daughter, we were at the beach and she wanted to do skimboarding. So she bought like a $10 skimboard and she got waxed and she was waxing it. And then some kids were kind of laughing at her and they were laughing because she was waxing the wrong side. She had a 50-50 chance. She waxed the wrong side, but she didn't know. And she was kind of like, well, I'm going to be brave enough to be bad at something new. And she did that obsessively. She did the skimboard for like eight hours a day for seven days in a row. And by the end of the week, she was really good. And she's done it summer after summer after summer. But that first initial couple times, like the first week, like, she waxed the wrong side of it. And every kid that was good at that at the beach was like, what is this girl doing? But that's one of our family soundtracks is, okay, well, remember, it's new. Like, you're going to be bad at it. Remember, it's new. Like, and the joke I always do with parents is like, when parents would tell me I'm not good at, you know, virtual school with my kids, I would say, yeah, you should suck at that. You've never done it. And the worst time to learn something new is during a global pandemic. Like you talk about a difficult learning environment, global pandemic is on the list of most difficult and there was this pressure parents are saying, I've got to be good at this thing, but you've never done it. So we say that in our family constantly. Ellie's going to college in like two weeks from now. She's never done it. And she's already said, I know it's going to like, I'm going to stumble some. There's going to be some like, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to love it, but I'm not going to be amazing at college. I've never did, gone to college before. And so we say, you know, be brave enough to be bad at something new. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. I think back to it. My daughter, when she first started driving it's been a year and a half, two years now. One of the things I said to her right away was, look, you're going to do something to my car. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, you're not in trouble for doing it. It will suck that it happens for yeah. me more than you, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. know right now that the thing I want you to do is immediately tell me, not try to hide it, not try to, yeah. you know. Not feel uh, ashamed. Yes. Yeah. And she still ended up doing that because my wife, you know, when it did happen, it inevitably happened. My wife texted me and said, okay, don't get mad, which that's yeah, never that's a, a way to start a text conversation. No, it's such a bad start. <laughs> you know, it's not good news. But uh, she she says that and she says, okay, Emily, did, it's it's not that bad. And she, But she was super terrified of yeah. you know us finding out, but she did the right thing. When I walked into the house, she said, mom, I need to tell you something and show you something. And she did. And she walked her out there. And like my wife was like, what? I can't even see it. And that was what, uh, like, and when my wife told me that in the text, I'm like, okay, there's no issue. Well, yeah, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You're be but, fine. but I think that I'm still glad she was afraid to tell us in a way, like for the sake of the consequences and, and the natural consequences. She took it seriously. She took it seriously and she was responsible and she was afraid of what that was going to do and whatever. But like, she also saw that like, no, one reinforce, you told us good job Two, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not that bad. And so yeah. let's, let's put this in context here. Totally. Stuff has happened to that car since, not from her, but other parking lot people yeah. that I'm um, like, now that's the thing. <laughs> like, yeah, don't yeah, do that. That matters. That yeah. matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So you mentioned the pandemic and, and learning during that process. There's actually that third question we have a lot of practice of or should have a lot of practice of now, which is, is it kind? And being kind to ourselves throughout the pandemic, what does that question look like in terms of teenagers and, and students? One, they're not used to anybody being kind to them, some of them. Yeah. And they're not used to being kind to themselves. How do we get that kind of neural pathway paved in their heads and ours for them? Part of it is noticing it first. I mean, for me, writing soundtracks, that was a big revelation was how many of my sentences in my own head ended with, you idiot. That was the punctuation. And so I think a big step is going, 
let me notice how I'm talking to myself. Because self-awareness is a superpower. You need some self-awareness to go, oh, wait a second. I just said this to me. Was that kind? And if it wasn't kind, did I hear that from somewhere else? You know, I was on somebody else's podcast, uh, Stephen Scoggins, and he said that growing up, his dad used to say, Scoggins don't get ahead, Scoggins get by. That's a really unkind thing to say to a kid to establish, hey, remember, you're a member of this family and this family doesn't get ahead, we get by. And so if he did that exercise as a teenager and said, hey, wait a second, why am I saying that? Why am I setting such low expectations for myself? Why am I telling myself I will never accomplish anything? Oh, wait a second, I inherited that. Like I inherited that broken soundtrack. So I think often kindness starts with a little bit of self-awareness for you to notice and go, oh, and then you get this choice of when you're unkind to yourself, it's like spending the entire day with a jerk and you wouldn't want to spend the entire day with a jerk. And so you go, you know what? I think I'm going to try. Like, And it's not, you're going to be fake. You're not going to lie to yourself and say, I'm the best person that's ever lived. Like, You can certainly swing the other side, but I tend to see less people struggle with that. Like, We talk about toxic positivity a lot, like culturally, but teenagers, if you can just get them to be a little kind, it can do wonders. You know, When we did the study, the thousands of cards from teenagers who had written in, the number one word that appeared on more cards than any other was the word enough. It was, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. The word enough appeared more than any other word. And so even just going, where in my life am I saying the word enough? And can I stop that or stop some of that? That can start kindness. I also go back to the beginning of the flow chart of these questions where it's like, if you have the, is it true? Yes, no. Is it helpful? Yes, no. Then it's like, if it's not true and it's not helpful, then it's easier to say, well, then What's the alternative? Well, the be kind. So let's let's flip yeah. that. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit, like taking an existing soundtrack. One, we've identified it's not true. One, we've identified it's not helpful. How do we flip that existing negative soundtrack to be kind? Well, the easiest way is to to borrow somebody else's. You know, sometimes it can feel intimidating. Adults, teenagers, it doesn't matter the age. When I sit down with somebody and I go, hey, what are your negative thoughts or what are the broken soundtracks? They can usually identify them. People can go, oh man, I, I beat myself up about this or oh, every time I do this, I feel this way. But when I flip it, I go, what would you like to think instead? I get met with blank stares because most of us, again, have never been taught that we get to choose our thoughts. So I love an easy way to kind of ease into it, which is to say, okay, let's start borrowing some soundtracks from people. And and that's why we have so many soundtracks in the book. So that if a teenager reads it, they don't have to go, I got to come up with some way to be brave. They can go, no, there's one. It's soundtrack number three of the seven that we talked about. Be brave enough to be bad at something new. Great. I can borrow two of the seven really speak to me or four of the seven really speak to me. So often it's about being self-aware to hear what you're saying to yourself and then starting to notice what you'd like to say instead. And that can be from a parent. It can be from a friend. You know, when a, when a friend says, I really appreciate that you did this for me. Wow. Are they talking about my character? Like I was generous to somebody. I'm a generous person. Maybe that's a soundtrack. But that you don't try to do this intimidating process to sit down with a blank piece of paper and go, now I need to come up with new playlists. Often it's just that you listen first. You start to notice and then you borrow some. I mean, that's why the book has so many in it is that we wanted it to be almost a starter kit for if we're going to encourage you to think new thoughts, here are some amazing new thoughts that are really going to help, especially teenagers. And I'll say, I'm going to confirm for anybody out there who is a parent or works with students, my experience going through the book is as a parent, this is accessible to students. This is on their level. 
not that they're on a lower level. It's just, it's a different lens. Let's put it totally. They look at things differently. That's a better way to put it. They can borrow soundtracks from this. I love that you said this, the Stranger Things thing about the headphones because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. that totally fits now yeah. with, with the one song that's just been over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Um, Kate Bush. Yeah. Those look like Max's headphones. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't see it at first till you said that. Now I'm like, oh, duh. So it's a total tie in right there. But one, I I endorse this, but I'm not literally endorsing this book, Uh, but I'm I'm right now verbally to everybody listening saying this is a book that one, I I pre-ordered it before I ever got an advanced reader's copy. Like I did to have that for, you know, on file for my daughter and everything. So I guess that kind of brings me to this point, though, is like if somebody is a parent and they are familiar with soundtracks or even if they're not. What's a way that they can walk with a student or students through this process? Is it just, here's the book, I'll pay you to read it. Or, hey, I got you this book. It's a self-help book. Yeah. Like, that's a hard thing for a parent. Impossible, teacher, dude. Right? Impossible. Yeah. So, so that's a great point. So the way I approach it is, one, read it first yourself. It's a, it's designed to be a short book. It's not some massive tome. So I always encourage parents, guidance counselors. We've had a lot of teachers say, I'm going to buy one for every kid in my class, like principals, you know, therapists, whatever. I always say, read it first. Read it first because I think it'll give you insight into your own students and it'll give you a starter conversation. So in the same way that if a wife hears a you know motivational speaker or a sermon about anger and then buys a book for their husband about rage and then goes, hey, I heard a I heard talk about rage. Just going to put this on the nightstand. That dude is never reading that book. Like there's no like, hey, I bought this book that I think will fix you. And this isn't written as a fix you book. This is written as a walk with you book. So I would say parents first read it yourself and then find a couple of things that you think you could start a conversation with your student about. And then as you engage them, then you can say, hey, I think you'd really like this book. And then we joke in the book about, okay, pay them to read. And the, w- the reason we do that is we've done that with our kids. We paid our kids you know, to read 15 classic books that they weren't reading at school. And we thought, you know what? To have kind of a, an education and literature and thought, we'd love them to read these. But we didn't just go, hey, you've got to read these books. Like we said, hey, we think these are really worth it to you. And to show how much we think they're worth it, we're going to put some skin in the game and pay you to read these um, in the same way that I get paid to write books. And so, yeah, I, we, we joked about that, but we're also serious that, you know, if you want a kid to do something, like show them there's some incentive. Like you don't work for free. Like you don't go like if your job tomorrow is like, hey, we would love you to come like eight to five, five days a week, but just for zero dollars. Is that cool? But then often we ask our kids to do things that are outside of their comfort zone and we don't incentivize them. So what if you incentivize them a little bit? But again, it's a process. You read first, come up with a starter conversation. When you can, you give them the book and you work it through that way. Treat it like a paid internship. Exactly. You prepare what you want them to do by reading it first. Then yep. if you can, pay them to read it and have that kind of you know, the teaching method where you do it with them, they do it with you, that whole process. A hundred percent. And here's the thing. Like, I think that it's very realistic that there'll be a lot of parents that read it and use the shorthand of soundtracks to change the way they talk with their kids. And the kid might never read the book. The kid might read the book five years later. I consider it a huge win if a parent gets the book, they read the book and it teaches them a new way to talk to their kids and the kids learn the three questions. 
The kid doesn't have to read the chapter to understand, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? That's the power of a concept this sticky as something as simple as soundtracks. So yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I want teenagers across the country, around the world to get some tools that'll help them with their mindset at a time in their life when mindset's really valuable and is going to be even more valuable as they grow up. If they read the book or don't read the book, that's really their decision. But if they get the tool and their parent feels like they have an ally in this conversation, that's a win. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And and so what we're saying here essentially is, is there are varying degrees of change that can happen based on how much you jump in, but even just a little change, even just a little course correction, like we've been talking oh, about. Oh, a two here. degree change yeah. in your kid changes the whole arc of your life. Like if you think about, I had a friend say that, like if you think about launching a rocket, a two degree nudge, a two inch nudge over the course of that, right? Like, now take the rocket out 40 years, like, and you go, wow, it's going to end up somewhere completely different. That's what, you know, James Clear talks about that in Atomic Habits, like a 1% change can really change the whole arc of your life. And that's true of how you think. Yeah. Well, I imagine that you're going to be on Amazon and you're going to be scrolling down on the page for this and see it. People who bought this also bought, and you can see soundtracks and this paired together very often. But let's talk about where people can find out more, jump in, grab multiple copies like you were talking about. Where can people get it? It's for sale everywhere. You can look at a chapter if you want to check it out first at acuff.me slash playlist. So A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash playlist. And the audio is really fun. The girls read the book. I read the beginning and the end because those are the parts I wrote. And then the girls read the book, Ellie and McRae. So it's a super fun audiobook too. I sell way more audiobooks than I sell digital books, which is interesting to me. I think it's become a really fun way for people to connect with content. So yeah, you can get it uh, anywhere. And then yeah, it's I think it's the first book I've had where people have said, I'm buying five copies because I have five grandkids. I've had a lot of grandparents say, hey, I want to get this. So it's I think it's going to be really fun to see the impact it has on on students from, you know, middle school all the way up to early college. I would even say this is going to be one of those ones that gets gifted at graduations, though I would say get it before then. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. High school totally. or junior yeah. high even. It's uh, it. I mean, when you think about how difficult high school and middle school are, I mean, especially middle school, my daughter and her friends said they would rather repeat four years of high school than one year of middle school. They said middle school was so, and I've never met somebody who was like, I'd love to redo middle school. So I just think that it's a tool to go, hey, I recognize that it's challenging. Your thoughts are going to be a big part of that. Let's really change that in little ways that cause big impact. That's my goal with the book. Awesome. John, I can't wait to see the impact this is going to have and just can't wait to, to share the news about the book. So thank you so much for being back. Talk yeah, thanks for soon. having me again, dude. It's been a fun, uh, we've known each other for years and years and years, and I completely appreciate how much you've supported the work that I've done. So thanks for, uh, thanks for a friendly face again. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with John Acuff about your new playlist. Make sure to grab this book even if it's just for yourself or, again, student that you know needs to hear it, grab it for them. Don't wait. Don't wait for their graduation day. Give this to them now or get it and read it first like we talked about. Go through and pick you know, which methodology or approach, I should say, is best for that student that you know needs to adopt this skill set and needs training in this superpower of mindset whether that is giving them the book outright, if that's the kind of person they are, or reading it first and kind of bringing up subject matter to them and training them even without them knowing it, just kind of let them observe you do it. But either way, whatever approach you're taking, well worth grabbing this book, even multiple copies, 
I am not surprised that there are educators and leaders out there that are going to grab up multiple copies and give them away to students. It's probably what I'll end up grabbing and doing myself. If you know of somebody that needs to hear this conversation and learn more about this book and what John is doing with his daughters here, would you mind sharing this episode? Do me that favor. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Let them know about this conversation in this book. It's going to do wonders for them. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you again for listening. And don't forget, you can get shortcasts of Beyond the To-Do List, seven to 10 minute versions of podcast episodes of this show in the archive over at Blinkist. You can find that at beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist. Try it out for free. You're going to love it. Again, thanks for sharing this episode. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.